So she was complaining to my to my father. She said, you know, I I went on shlichus in order to have chiddush kids, but but I, I don't see that you know happening. And my father told her that's not true. We didn't go on shlichus to have chiddush kids. We went on shlichus because the Rebbe wants us to go and do a mission. Welcome to Homesick for Lubavitch, a podcast where we explore Lubavitch identity in the year 2023. My name is Ben Siafson, and I will be your host. Let's begin. Alrighty, so uh, we're here in Kronites, uh in the in the, in the heart of the Kinnis. Um, we are in this apartment because we needed to find a Pach Shemin a quiet space in Karnites during the Kinnis, and we found it underneath the cracks. And so we are here. And I'm joined by Levi Greenberg, a good friend from back in the day in Yeshiva, who grew up and still lives in El Paso, Texas. Um, the way this conversation came to be is um, a couple weeks ago, I released the episode with my brother Mendy, and um, Levy reached out to me and told me that he had listened to the episode. And while he wasn't disagreeing with the episode, um, he felt that the, some of the ideas that we had discussed or some of the ideas that I had put forth, some of the theories I had put forth, were not telling the f- whole story, that there's more to the right. story. And to be honest, uh, I very much appreciate that feedback because... You don't always want the feedback where someone agrees with everything that you say. First of all, because you usually it's suspect who believes everything that you say. Uh, second of all, it's you know you either. I mean, for me at least, the the best feeling is to have your idea tested and to have and to hear and to hear other ideas or to hear hear what you know to 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 have your idea pushed back at. Um, that's part of learning. That's part of growing. That's part of thinking. So I very much appreciated that that Levy reached out. I very much appreciated how he reached out. And so I invited him to come on the podcast. And uh, here we are. So um, do you want me to lay out? I, I don't think I need to lay out what, what was said in the podcast. I think you could you could say what, what are the things that you remember from it and uh, what you wanted to talk about. You know, what? why don't you first introduce yourself, where you're from, who you are, and so on. What do you do? So as you said, my name is Levy Greenberg. Um, I'm from El Paso and still am from El Paso. I wasn't born in El Paso. I was born here in you know, right next to Crown Heights, Brookdale Hospital. Uh, but three months later, my parents were sent on Schliches, or we were sent on Schliches uh, to El Paso. And um, I grew up there. I left home fairly early. I mean, it was before the time of the Schlichem online school. You weren't able to learn online. And um, I left when I was approximately 10 years old. And I came back after I got married. You know, when I was 25, we came back on Shlichus to El Paso. Been there ever since. All right. Ever since. You're not that old. It's not that long ago. 12 years. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I need to make you feel that. Um, so, so what was it on, the, on, the, on that podcast, on that conversation with my brother? That, that... So it was a very interesting podcast, a very uh, interesting story. Um, and as I mentioned, I'm not here to comment on anyone's journey, and you know, everyone's journey is theirs. Um, but one of the one of the theories or the ideas that you were uh, discussing was that this concept of 
having, you know, a Lubavitcher couple go and be shluchim in some foreign place in a foreign atmosphere outside of Karnat, it's outside of a Lubavitcher community, and then expect that the children who never really grew up in that atmosphere should be able to seamlessly transition into the system, for right. lack of a better word, or into just a, a regular yeshiva uh, atmosphere is an abstraction that doesn't necessarily work. Or I, I'm, you know, I'm not going to nitpick all you know anything that you said. I don't remember the exact words. You didn't remember the the atheist? abstraction, yeah, an, an abstraction <laughs> that doesn't necessarily work, or something like that. Right. Um, and so, so I felt that uh, characterizing it that way, uh, as you said, is not showing the entire picture. Um, because while everyone has their journey, um, this concept of, you know, the Rebbe sending Shulchan to places that are very foreign to, uh, you know, the Lubavitcher atmosphere, to say the least, um, and also to to uh, ensure that the Chinuch of their children would not uh, be compromised as a result, um, it does work. Uh, the question, you know, and the question is uh, how and why and whatever, and, and I'm not here to uh, to set forth a path of how exactly it does work, but the fact of the matter is, if you look back at the past, what, 60, 70 years that it's been going on, um, there is tremendous success, specifically in that in, right. in that line. So I felt that it was just important that while not uh, pushing back at any one specific story, let's not characterize it mm-hmm. as, you know, this is the situation with Shlichas and Chinuch. Fair enough. I mean, I, I, I fair enough. Uh, I, for, again, I appreciate, I, fr- I appreciate the pushback in itself. I also appreciate that the goldfish in the actual pushback. Um, my intention was not um, to say that it cannot work or that it does not work. Um, what I meant was it does not have to work, right? right. And yeah. and and I think that's what I meant by abstraction is that. You know, because on paper everything kind of checks out. You know, like, you know, shluchim are you know diehard Lubavitchers or they're pure Lubavitchers, and so their kids that grow up in shluchas are even pure Lubavitchers, and so a pure Lubavitcher kid who grew up not only went on shluchas but grew up on shluchas, obviously he'll fit into yeshivas. That all works on paper, but you know, in 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 real life where. Um, and by real life, I don't mean that it's more real than the abstraction. I just mean that it's the 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 life, the the, the reality of messy relationships, and 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 you know, right? Where, gullus, whatever. Go, it's not even gullus. It's it's a <laughs> fact. That, it's a fact that it's a fact that, like I was talking to my brother, like you know, a, a kid growing up grows up with a daily interaction with his classmates and his friends and and the world around him, and. You know, it's a famous, it's a famous, it's a famous story of, of, of the, you know, it's brought in philosophy. It's a famous story of the, of the cave, but I think it's also brought in Chassidus about, um, it's a marshal of some, of, of some sorts about Gullus. You just said Gullus, where you have a family that's in a pit for, a, for, a, you know, for a long time. And over generations, they begin to get used to it. And someone tells them that there's a whole world out there. The whole world is out there. That is true. But for the child in the pit, it's an abstraction, right? right? And right. so that to me is what I was saying. Not that it cannot work and not that it hasn't worked, but that it doesn't have to work. Right. And for many, it doesn't work, right? And, you know, was that an indictment of the system per se? Um, it was an indictment of the, of the, of a certain blindness in the system. Right? Taking it for granted. 
No, but a certain blindness in the system. If people, I mean, you know, we, we could spend now three hours trying to define what the system even means. I feel like the system is... I'm usually, not here for that. <laughs> yeah, you're not here for that. And, and nobody listening to it is here for that either. And, and the reason why I feel like that's a useless conversation anyway is because I always feel that the system is brought up usually to deflect from personal responsibility or more specific responsibility. So it's much easier to talk about this abstract monster. <laughs> like, who exactly deep is state. a system? Is deep state. Who exactly is a system? Who is the guy? Who, who do we talk to? Where is the address of the system? Where Where is the complaint box for the system? Nobody has these answers. It's much easier just to punch into the air and talk about the system, right? So I, I don't think it's worth to talk about the system per se, but is this an indictment or is this a critique of a of a of a of a perspective of a by by chinuch in schools or in general in our community where we assume that kids growing up on shlichus are because they're Lubavitcher on paper means that they're Lubavitch in the way that that a kid that grew up in a large community is Lubavitch, right? We we cannot we cannot um, forget about the real lived experienced identity for the. Kind of abstract identity. That I mean, that's my point. Okay, yeah, I understand that. Right, you know, it's, right. Uh, so you feel that you feel that you feel that that there's more, there's more, that there's another side of the story. So why don't you ta- why don't you say why don't you talk a little bit about the, that side of the story? So I mean, let's put it this way: there's a lot of different shulchan out there, a lot of different circumstances, a lot of different realities. Uh, there are shulchan in larger cities, smaller cities, some that have chinuch. I'm talking about brick and mortar schools that they can send their kids to, whether they're a Lubavitch school or a Frum school, or or anything. Um, and then there are those that have nothing, you know. And and you know, Baruch Hashem that there's a shulchan online school and kids are able to get a chinuch and it does a tremendous job. And my kids now are on the shulchan online school. Uh, because we don't have an option, you know, a viable option to send them to. Uh, when I was growing up, so we were in El Paso, there was an El Paso Hebrew Day School. Uh, a variation of it does exist today. Um, it's a, not from school at all. Um, it was co-ed, obviously. And the f- when I was in first grade, when I was in kindergarten, I went there. When I was in first grade, I went for the entire day, but I transferred over to a, a different class. Uh, first and second grade, I was there the entire day, which means you know, secular and the um, Mude Kodesh. But the, the teachers that taught the Mude Kodesh for those classes they were actually Shemre Shabbos, um, which was which is interesting. I didn't realize uh, until later that um, that that's what my parents were specifically looking for. That at least whatever Yiddishkeit I'm learning anywhere else should be from someone who is um, a Shemre Shabbos. But then. Um, that couldn't continue, so I continued to go to the school for secular studies so that I should have some type of um, social interaction. And my parents started to bring in uh, post-seminary girls or seminary girls. You're talking here about uh, 1994, 95, um, 96. And uh, they, they came, they would be there for the year. And um, and they, they taught me. So they taught me Chumash and they taught me you know, all the regular things that, that you learn in school. Um, so I was tutored. So I would go to the day school for half the day for secular studies. I would come home and I would learn, you know, Lomodei Kodesh. When I was in fourth grade, my parents decided that, you know, I have to, I have to go to a normal school, a normal, uh, a regular Lubavitch v'chinuch. Um So it was right after Pesach. My birthday is a little bit after Pesach. Uh, so I was nine. I was going on to ten, 
and they told me that they arranged that I should go and spend a month in Chicago to go to the Cheder there. Um, and I did. And Baruch Hashem, I mean, I don't know exactly who specifically to credit, but, you know, the, the, you know, the, my friends in class, they were amazing. Um, they embraced me right away. Like, I had friends immediately. Um, the, the teachers uh, were amazing. Rabbi Aaron Wolf was the teacher in fourth grade. Um, and, in fact, I was so comfortable, you know, being in his class, and he was so welcoming. Actually, the next year, I, I boarded in his house, and I stayed there for four years. Really? From fifth through eighth grade. Um, that first month, so I was by cousins, uh, the Greenbergs that lived in Chicago then. Um, they were wonderful. Um, but the kids were much younger, and you know, I just wanted to be in a, in a I guess, older family. Um, and so since that month worked out very well, so my parents decided, okay, continue there. And uh, in fifth grade, that was my first regular year in the Chai de Lubavitch in Chicago. And it was, it was amazing. It was great. Was it hard to and be away from home? Definitely. You know, yeah. definitely was it was hard to be away from home. All the typical things about you know homesickness. I mean, I'm sure you homesick. You, you know exactly we're what this right, is. We're in the right place for homesick. Yeah, exactly. Oh, homesick for the Bavich. But I'm saying you're, yeah. you grew up Paso, uh, in this case. Yeah, homesick you grew up uh, dealing with this as well. Uh, I imagine. Uh, yeah, very much so. I, I mean, I I really want to hear more about it because I, I think this is something that um, is really not discussed. I'm, I'm not sure why, but um, this is. I mean. It's it's a big, like it's 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 deep deep down there in my psyche from my own experience. So that's why I'm asking you, like, like um, when you, I mean, it seems like you were very lucky because this is very unusual to find a place that you would feel comfortable to stay for the next four years. Well, it wasn't my plan in fifth grade. But no, no, but it turned out that that's what happened. In yes. retrospect, you found a place that you were very comfortable with. The proof is that you spent four years there. One hundred percent, and. Um, you know, four years. For anybody that's stayed at someone else's home, you, it could be a lovely family, but usually within a few months, you feel very much unwanted there. Uh, no, this and, was and just so the clearly opposite. you didn't. So you were very lucky and very fortunate, and probably had to do with your personality as well. So I mean, it, it, you don't want to give all the blame to the other people. You, you must have done something right as well. But you were fortunate that it ended up that way, and. Um, even so, you're saying it was hard for you to be away from home. So what precisely was, was I mean, that makes sense, obviously. It's hard yeah, to be away from your parents. But like, just talk a little bit about that. Talk a little bit about the, the process, the emotional process. I mean, it, it for me at least, and, and I really want to hear more from you about this, like a lot of the feelings that I remember from my age of that time, because I'm already, it's already 25 years away, is associated with being away from home. Like, right. you know, like I don't remember so many feelings, emotions, moments, like the powerful stuff is from there, which says a lot. So what do you remember from the feelings that you had back then? So obviously that first month, it was exciting, you know, you go right. away from home, I'm a big boy, I was traveling alone, you know, unaccompanied minor, yeah. you know, that type of thing. Yeah. Um, so it was just from Pesach to Shavuos. Shavuos, I came home and there was camp at home, you know, a boys camp, it was good. Then I came... Uh, Fifth grade, so for Elul I came, I don't know, two weeks, three weeks, whatever it was. And I think for Rosh Hashanah, I was back home already. So, you know, so from Rosh Hashanah until Simchastera, I was home. I distinctly remember waking up Matzei Simchastera, you know, you know, I had a flight at 12 o'clock, whatever it was, you know, the direct flight to Chicago. And I remember waking up and saying, I'm not going. I remember saying that. Um, but it's not like there was an option for me to stay school-wise, 
In other words, already in my mind, I was not going back to the school that was in El Paso. Wonderful people, great. But I knew that I had to be you knew in a that different it wasn't environment. For you, right? I had to be in a different environment, and I was I was happy in the school. I, when I when I woke up, Matzis Mkhastera said, "I'm not going." It had nothing to do with anything wrong with where I was going. You know, right. the, the wolves were wonderful, and in Chicago, the cheder was also wonderful. But just you know, a kid doesn't want to leave home, and I said, "I'm not going." And my parents were very patient. And, you know, they packed me up and this and that. And I'm like saying the whole time, I'm not going, not going. But I, you know, I was, I was going. And I remember in the, um, I was in the airport and I still said, I'm not going. And, you know, my parents took me all the way to the plane and I went. Years later, I mean, I think after I got married, my mother told me that as soon as I disappeared, my father tells my mother, if he would have said, I'm not going one more time, I would have taken him back home. She was like, why do you wait? Like, <laughs> So I realized, actually, <laughs> later on, when I became a parent, and now, I mean, Baruch Hashem, my, my oldest is also away from home this year, um, I realized that no matter how hard it was for me, whatever whatever it was, for my parents, it was much harder. Um, and I'm not here to feel for them. That, that's not the point. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, being a parent myself, I, I could see where that comes from. Children are resilient. You know, kids... You know, obviously depends on the child, depends on the circumstances, depends on everything. Uh, um, but if you ask me like specific feelings, I have certain, I remember certain episodes of homesickness. I remember distinctly that the last time I cried for being homesick was when I was in sixth grade. I landed after Tishrei. I remember that first night I woke up crying. Mrs. Wolf saw me crying. I came to the kitchen. She was like concerned for me, whatever. She gave me something to eat. It was the last time I cried. I've cried since, but not you know, not for I mean, homesickness. I, to be honest with you, I really didn't think we were gonna Get go here because <laughs> here you, you you actually told me before we started speaking that you didn't want to speak about your own story. Um, but yet we are talking about it, and um, you know, for whatever reason, I, I I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not at the brink of tears, but a lot is welling up inside of me. I mean, the the emotions that that this is bringing up, and. Um, the fact that I'm not crying probably <laughs> probably says something that I need to explore. But I mean, I, you're kind of papering it over here. I mean, if you think about it, you're kind of papering it over here. I mean, there's there's a number of parts here that you need to dissect. I mean, I, yes, you understood as a ten year old that you had to go, but it was you're, you're you're like it was a bigger deal for your parents than it was for you. Yeah. A million and one is more money than a million dollars. They're both mil- they're both a million dollars. Yeah. You know what so, I mean? Your parents, your parents are dealing with different kinds of feelings than you are, mainly because they're adults, but also because they feel a massive burden of guilt and responsibility, which you don't have because this wasn't your fault. You're dealing with as a child, the the very. Um, I think the word, the only possible, the only fair word is traumatic. And, and I'm not someone who bandies that word around all the time whenever like something's difficult. I think it is overused. But taking a child out of their home space and voluntarily moving, I mean, if it's involuntarily, maybe it's even worse. But for a child to feel that they cannot be at home and they have to be somewhere else, um, it's rough. It's rough. It's rough, yeah. you know, and, 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 and it's confusing. It's confusing. I mean, I feel like what you're trying to say, and this is something that I that I identify with, is that maybe you're not angry at your parents because you understand that they weren't putting something on you that they weren't putting on themselves. 
I mean, that, that to me, if that's what you're trying to say, that to me is a, a fair point. I mean, but I mean, I, I'm very well aware how difficult it was for my parents to the point that I remember distinctly that, I mean, there was a time, there was a time where I wasn't, like I, I left home and then eventually I couldn't leave home. Like it was just, you know, it was too much. I just psychologically couldn't deal with it. And then when I was older, and especially when it came to yeshiva and there were more boys in the dormitory, I was able to do it. But even then, I remember distinctly that I would come to the airport with my parents and we lived in Hong Kong. So this was an international flight. Yeah, they didn't, they, no, but they, and my point is they didn't bring me to the gate. They brought me to security and that was it. I would say goodbye and I left. I did not linger. And the reason I didn't linger was not because I have a heart of stone. It's quite the opposite. I could not deal with that moment. I just said, okay, it, the day before, it was a pit in my stomach. I knew what was coming. I also knew that on the other end of the flight, I'd be fine. I liked the yeshiva I was in for the most part. I'll be okay. But that moment of separation, I mean, it's rough. It's rough, you know. And I mean, I don't know, you know, if, if we're going to be honest, we may as well be honest. Um, I would think in some ways that that's true for me to this day. I mean, when I, when I, uh, when I like my parents still live in Hong Kong and I so I see them less regularly I mean maybe at this age I would have moved away anyway but like they're on the other side of the world and I'm I, it's so ingrained in me that when it comes time to say goodbye to my parents whether it's after simcha or after a visit or whatever it is I literally I I, I, I say goodbye I turn around and I leave I cannot deal with it Anyway, right. I, I mean, that's all to say... Now we're hearing your story. <laughs> I know, but I don't want to make up my story. I just, I, I couldn't help myself. But I'm saying, like, you're 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 kind of downplaying it. You're, you're making as if, like, you're making as if... And I want to know, I want to know where that's coming from. Like, like why why do you right. feel it's... Why do you feel it's important to bring up that your parents had a harder time than you? I, I why, believe I'll, it. So I'll tell you, it's one of the reasons why I was actually reluctant to go down this, you know, path. Right. Simi- simply because... Okay, let's put it this way. When I look back at my childhood, I have zero, like, uh, how do you say, bad feeling. I mean, life is life. You know, people right. go through challenges, and I had my fair share of them and, right. and things like that. But I don't look back at the circumstances of my childhood. You know, growing up in, in a place where she didn't have a chinook for me and then having to leave when I was a little kid, uh, whatever, 10 years old, and essentially being away from home, I don't look back at that as an abnormal type of childhood. I, I consider myself being very lucky to have a very happy childhood. And and I'm actually thankful, looking back, I'm thankful that I actually did go in fifth grade. Right. Um, I don't want to, you know, engage in, you know, what ifs. But I, I highly doubt that I, you know, that I would be who I am if I didn't leave then, if I didn't right. enter the system or enter that environment at that point. And I'm keenly aware of that. Right. Uh, so in other words... So now, is it about you know me trying to cover over trauma? And I, I don't I don't know. And it's not even when I'm trying to to the reason why to, I bring up that they had a harder not, time. The right. reason why I say that is because I I want to point out that that for some reason, at least in my experience, my experience of it, which I definitely did feel homesickness. It was rough, you know, all that. At a certain point, it kind of like I snapped into a certain reality where okay, this is life, and this is what it is. Uh, were there times, you know, seventh grade or eighth grade that I, I don't know, I would feel like, oh, I wish my parents were. Of course, you know, I had that. But for the most part, this is my life and, and I'm happy, you know, doing right. this. Um, and I don't know if that ever 
got easier for my parents. Uh, That's what I'm saying. I see. Um, in fact, most recently, I, heard, I overheard someone speaking to my father and asking him, what's the hardest part of shlichus? Yeah. He said, chinuch. Period. Everything yeah. else, whatever. Not a walk in the park, but we can handle it. Kosher, this, that, it doesn't matter. Said chinuch, that's that's just the toughie. Um, and, and that's why, um, like in all of these stories, that I'll tell you a story. Yeah, that, but one uh, second, one second, yeah. one second. I just, I'm not trying to divert, but when I, I've heard Shluchim say that before. They say chinuch is the toughest part. Let, let's be no, honest. Not Aleph Beis Gimel. Let's be Tom, honest. Uh, yeah, by chinuch, they mean sending away their kids. Yeah, yeah. That's, no, that's what I mean. I, I, <laughs> that's what he meant also. <laughs> I know that's what he meant, but I'm saying we, we use these kind of like, like uh, what are the, there's a word for it. No, uh, like when you, euphemisms or whatever. Euphemisms, we use euphemisms to like chinuch, you know, like a, a, I'm not earning, I'm not, I'm not making money. I'm just doing, I'm making parnasa. <laughs> you're making, you're making green cash and you're sending your kids away from home. Right. Let's let's be. Let, let me see. That that's what you're referring to. Yes. Yes. Definitely. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, arranging for the right teacher or making sure the kid gets uh, you know an A. That that's not right. that's not chinuch. Right. Um. Oh, so my mother told me a story recently. I don't know, a few years ago. She said that um, when I was very little, I don't know, four or five years old, we would come to New York. I don't want to say often, but like every summer we were here for two three weeks, and we would stay in Crown Nights. You know, the, this was our time to come to the Rebbe. That's when we saw the Rebbe. Um, this is before Gimbal Tammuz. And my mother said that she noticed that, uh, so this is what, Nun Aleph, Nun Beis, and even Nun Gimel. So very often there was like, you know, in Nun Gimel especially, there was a siren, you know, that I was coming out to the balcony. Um, so we would stay by cousins, and there were cousins my age. Whenever this would happen, she noticed that, the, you know, the, the kids that grew up in Crown Heights, they were all excited. Like, you know, it was like, you know, fire under their, you know, and then they would run, eh, that I was coming out. And she noticed that, like, her levy doesn't, Whatever he went, but like she didn't see that fire, so she was complaining to my to my father. She said, "You know, I I went on shlichus in order to have chesedisha kids, but but I, I don't see that you know happening." And my father told her, "That's not true. We didn't go on shlichus to have chesedisha kids." She's like, "What are you talking about?" And and he shared with her the sicha from Purim Tavshin Chaf that ever spoke about uh, the Peace Corps, right? That mm. uh, President. Uh, Kennedy, he made a Peace Corps, and he's sending out people to go to these third world countries to live there and be with the people and, I guess, educate them. But they're going to have to live with the people, and they're not going to get good pay, and they're not going to be able to eat the regular foods, etc. And they have to, have to do it, you know, for, for the right reasons and being altruistic about it and have a mission. And the Rebbe was speaking about this in regards to shlichus, that the whole idea of shlichus is, you know, going out, doing the mission, doing what has to be done uh, without expectation of what's going to come as a result. And my father told you, he said, I went on shlichus because, I mean, we went on shlichus because the Rebbe wants us to go and do a mission. I'm not going to talk here what the mission is. Everyone knows. Uh, you know, what's going to happen in the end with our personal situation? I mean, the Rebbe is a guter and he promises that things will be okay and he gives us bracha, etc. But like, I'm not measuring, mm. I'm not, uh, how do you say, uh, determining if this was a good investment on my part based on, you know, if my son is running to 770 because he's excited or not, or right. if he's, you know, called chassidish or not. I never heard about this conversation until a few years ago. Yeah. And it was actually eye-opening to me. Right. Because looking back, um, whether it was in the way my parents behaved or what they told me, I, I could tell very, very clearly that they knew they have a mission, they have a reason to be here. Uh, they love their family and they want their family to have the best possible begashmias and also beruchnias. And therefore, they are willing to put themselves out there and send children away uh, to have that chinuch, etc. But it was never like, it never, it never clashed 
with their commitment to the shlichus. Right. And like, so it was never, it was never like this, this struggle of like, are we getting our money's worth? Are we getting right. our investments worth based on right. how the chinuch is coming along and how the kids are doing? I forgot where I was going with this, but. I mean, I'm very glad you went there because it's something that I think about a lot. I mean, I I am no longer on shlichus, so uh, in some ways, you know, in some ways, in some ways, the point is more relevant to you, I'm sure, than than it is to me. But I grew up on shlichus, and um, you know, there there is this there is this what you this this kind of discussion that your mother and father had is. Like to me is like a is like a general conversation that Lubavitchers have and maybe have with themselves, you know, or just a, it's kind of two sides of the conversation, which is there's there's you know there's a famous thing of you know the Rebbe said about the Shluchim's kids of minor places, right? That he takes a chayis, he takes a chayis, so that's how it's translated. He takes a chayis for for the Shluchim's kids, and you know. I've always I've always felt that that's like a very superficial reading. If that story happened the way it said it happened, which is I don't know, but let's say that interpretation to me is is a pretty shallow interpretation because what that assumes is that, like you said, shlichus has to work out perfectly because that's what the intention was. You also hear this I, to put it in a different framework. A lot of times people want to make as if shlichus is a win-win-win all across the board. Nothing in life is right, that. Right, right. Yeah. But shlichus is the thing where, uh, how many times have you heard that like, you know, you look at shlichus kids, look how they turned out. Maybe today people say that less for different reasons. But when I was when I was a kid, when I was growing up, it's very often like, there were some people on shlichus and look at how their kids turned out. I just heard it two weeks ago on my podcast, someone was saying, you know, on shlichus kids grow up learning to share and 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 and. and People try to find the benefits that, that, that come out of shlichus. And I'm sure there are benefits that come out of shlichus, right? right? I'm not here to rag on shlichus, right? Um, I grew up in a Chabad house. I saw a lot of beautiful things that were happening in that Chabad house. I'm happy to extol the praises of shlichus, okay? Uh, that's not my mission. But to say that it's a net, like it's, it's only, only upside, and there was, like, it, it, everything has to work out perfectly because it's shlichus, to me is insane. Right, so that to me is basically what your father is answering. That shlichus is not because everything will work out. That's not why I go on shlichus because everything's going to work out. Right, I went on shlichus because there is a mission that I was sent to accomplish. Right, and everything else, hopefully, it works out. Maybe yes, maybe no. Right, right, right. Maybe yes, maybe no. I mean, I would say even more. You're saying that you know, like it, it, it doesn't have to work out. One could say, and maybe this is uh, the heart of what we're kind of the. If there is a debate here, this is the heart of the debate, which is, I would even say that maybe it, there's no way that it can work out across the board, right? There's no way that it can work out across the board. Shlichus, you're sending out thousands of couples around the world, right? And couples. Raising a family in the best of cases have it hard. It's a challenge to raise raise children, raise children that they're well psychologically, uh, physically, spiritually, religiously. All of these things are challenges, right? Now you take these couples and you, you 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 spread them thin in these different communities where they have no support network, not family, not friends, right? They're all they're isolated, right? 
assuming that they are in the best place to begin with, that's already a massive, probably impossible challenge, right? But a lot of them were not. Well, let's be honest. A lot of couples that went on shlichus went with baggage to begin with because really everybody has, everybody has baggage, right? So you're sending on shlichus, right? People that have to begin with challenges. Now you're putting an even bigger challenge on them and they have to raise a family on top of everything else that they have to do and they have to figure it out from scratch, right? Because they're in a place that nobody else was before and very often nobody else comes after okay so like that's that that i don't want to use the word system but that that situation to me is not going to end up with roses across the board there's going to be challenge there's going to be fallout there's going to be fallout the Rebbe will talk a lot about the fact that the free league sent out you know in, in russia right in the pays right when the free league was there and he was basically trying to keep this guy alive right and uh, he would send people to be a malamid or a sheikh or whatever it is. And you knew that they're going to face the firing squad. They're not going to survive. And everyone would talk about the fact that to go on Messiah Snefesh yourself, no, say there, okay. But to send someone else to go on Messiah Snefesh, that takes really bread to places. Everyone would talk about this about the Fidi Kerebbe, that, that the Messiah Snefesh that Fidi Kerebbe had to have to send someone right. to go. And it's not just about facing the firing squad. What happens with the Almana and the Yisayimim and all of that? Right. These are all things that definitely the Fidi Kerebbe thought about, etc. But there's a fire burning, Judaism is falling apart, we have to we have to save it. Right. And 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 so I think a lot, you know, the Rebbe has a world, he has to bring Mashiach to this world. Right. right. This is his job. And the only way to do it is actually to send people to be there physically on the ground. It doesn't work with sending America Shulchan to go in for two weeks, come in and out. Um and and this is what we have to do. And there are definitely challenges. And I, I think I think when people yeah, go ahead. when people talk about like you know look at Shluchim's kids and they come out so wonderful etc. Um, I think what they're trying to harp on is that you know the Alter Rebbe says in Tanya that even the Kal Shabakalim even like you know someone who's totally uneducated with Judaism you know is willing to go on Messiah Snafish uh, is willing to give up his life and I think the point of it there is the fact that someone who knows about Yiddishkeit has a chinuch and has a commitment to Judaism and is willing to die okay we could explain it but the fact that a guy just found out yesterday that he's Jewish is willing to die that's the huge deal and I think what they're trying to say is that you know a chinuch in a Lubavitcher environment etc okay you could expect that to happen but they're living in Hong Kong they're living in El Paso etc and still the kids should come out okay like that, that's huge and like if you see, when you see that coming happening so people are like, oh, look look at like the special, unique quality of that type of uh, chinuch. I mean that, that that part I that part I understand, but I've heard it I've heard it said. I mean, somebody said it literally on this podcast a few weeks ago that like Shluchim's kids, you know, they have an advantage in the sense that they are brought up, you know, kind of uh, pushing the message as opposed to accepting the message of the work. My only pushback to that kid is it's not just Shulchan's kids. I've seen plenty of kids growing up. Uh, no, I'm just saying it was just an example to me and I've heard it so many times growing up where like, you know, uh, like I said, uh, this podcast isn't for airing dirty laundry. I mean, I've heard I've heard all kinds of nonsense as we all have. I mean, if, if, there's plenty of nonsense that I have said in my life and I hope people don't go quoting it on, on a podcast. You know, so, you know, you <laughs> You just brought up this very interesting um, kind of contrast, to me at least, where where the Fidik Rebbe was talking about um, the firing squads, and I was talking about the Fidik Rebbe, and that's where the idea of Platzis comes in, which is which is how I always understood it. Platzis is responsibility, not not that like I'm gonna make it all work out in the way you want to. This there's a very big story here where people are gonna get hurt, or people may get hurt, 
It's very possible, very, very probable that they're going to get hurt. But there's an equation, right? There's an equation. But, you know, I think, I think I want, what I wanted to ask you was, how much do you think we're hurt by the fact we are, how much do you think we are hurt by the fact that the the images of like the Rebbe crying by Fabringen or crying the stories that Rebbe crying when he saw a video was of the children in Russia, for example, and that when it comes to the kinnis and shluchim in, in general, the images that we have are you know like this and everybody dancing and like there's like it almost seems like you know like. Um, like I don't, I'm not, I'm not blaming anybody for doing this intentionally. I just, I feel because you brought up this idea of Russia, and right away, what came to my head was, like, there would cry about the Jews in Russia, and like, you knew how painful it was, and like, you know, how painful it was for the Fidik Rebbe, right? And like, they, they, they didn't know what to do. Like, like you said, they're, they're like, you either, you I, I mean, either your 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 chassidim will assimilate themselves because that's what that's what was going to happen if they if they tried. To, there was no there was no way. It wasn't like there was a place where they could go and hide. They were going to be assaulted, or they were going to try to push back, and people were going to get killed. Like, what are you supposed to do as a leader? It's it's impossible. It's a terrible place to be. So, like when you talk about Russian Jewry, Rebbe's crying, right? Like that's the image that comes to my head at least, and I'm sure it comes to a lot of people's heads. But it comes to Shlichus in America. All you, it's like all like you know, uplift and kashel bracha and the shulchan dancing for three hours at the kinnis and so on. Like, I'm not saying there isn't a side of that that I understand, but like, the, like, what if what what would it look like and what would he think if we knew that they ever cried for shulchan's kids as well? So you bring up a point that actually I've never thought about, and thank you for bringing. I mean, and now I'm I'm, I'm going to talk. While thinking, basically, that's, that's what's going to happen. That's not, now we're getting started. Now we're not, getting started. Not, now I can press record. <laughs> so, simcha or being upbeat doesn't necessarily equate everything is great, right? Just think about, for example, I mean, right now we're in the middle of the war in Israel, right? So, it, as soon as I heard the news on Shmini Atzeres by day, you know, people come at the show and they tell you, I right away thought about the Yom Kippur War. Um, the Yom Kippur War broke out on Yom Kippur, and two days later, the Rebbe had a bring in the Gimel Tishrei, right? The Rebbe starts off and says, how could we have a Febringen? You know, our brothers and sisters are fighting, and, you know, Yidin are fighting in Eretz Yisrael. How could we have an Indian of Simcha? I'm not going to hazard the entire Febringen, but the point is, the Rebbe, the Rebbe explains that Simcha is actually going to have a, a positive impact on them. Then at a certain point, there's, there's a, after the Maimur, there's a, a Sikha, where the Rebbe talks about Eretz Yisrael, about the war, and the Rebbe speaks about that that the reason why it's happening is because there was a lot of talk from the leaders to give away land, etc. And we're going to make an announcement here that what they said is not really their own opinion, and they don't speak on behalf of Klai Yisrael. It was only the Yitzhahara trying to convince them things. And we're going to make that a chraza here, and everyone's going to say, Amen. And like the Rebbe's like obviously doing something very heavenly, like he's trying to neutralize some type of problem. And the sikha, it's a 10-minute sikha, it ends, and seventy is roaring Amen, and then it's quiet for two minutes. I've never heard such a thing by Febringen. I've, I've listened to a lot of Febringens, watched them. There's never really a quiet moment for more than 10 seconds, if at all. For two whole minutes, it's quiet. And then all of a sudden, the Rebbe starts to sing Vesamachta. But like, a Vesamachta. And the first time that I heard the Febringen, it, it, it shook me. I was like, the Rebbe is very keenly aware of what's going on. Yud Gimel Tishrei Yisrael was losing. Right. And that's when the 2,700 soldiers were dying. Right. Things didn't turn around until Sukkot. And, and, and nobody thought 
that, that it would turn around. Right. <laughs> you know, right. it was uh, yeah. whatever they people were saying forget. in Israel. Yeah. People forget. Yeah. It was very, very bad. Very bad. And the Rebbe just explained why it's so bad. And the Rebbe is trying to do something, whatever he was doing, in order to like neutral. And there's like these two. And in in the room, you have people that are from Eretz Israel. They have family there. Right. Yeah, I mean, just think about the, the 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 you know whatever. And here all of a sudden the Rebbe just starts besamachta. And the entire Tishrei going forward was only about simcha. Right. Was the Rebbe ignoring the issues? No. So getting back to the question, you know, with regard to shlichus and with America, at least the image that we have or that's been imposed or or it's been characterized with is the Rebbe, you know, with a wave of his hand, sending shlichem out, etc. Right. I, the older I get, the more I realize that that does not equate nothing is, there's no issues, there's no pain. On the contrary. And the way we deal with it is trying to just infuse more simcha and more more highest um, into the situation. You know, a shliach that's having a problem. I was just reading a letter in Igris where um, apparently this person was writing to the Rebbe that they, 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 they did certain Avedis. I don't know, you know, you can only guess what people wrote to the Rebbe. And the Rebbe writes back to them, so one second, you want to deal with the Aveda by doing another Aveda, which means to be ba'atzfus, like, you know, to be depressed, like, what? That, that's not going to help you. Right. On the contrary, be b'simcha, do another mitzvah, whatever, you know. It, it's like typical. But here the Rebbe spells, spells it out. You're going to right. deal with a problem by adding another problem. You know, so again, you know, with regard to Russian Jewry and the Rebbe crying, I mean, over there you're talking about people are dying and people can't eat. And, and you know, let's not equate Russian Jewry and the challenges that they had in the times of the Friedrich Rebbe to the challenge of Shlichus. It's a different, it's a different type of fair challenge. Point. Fair point. And I think therefore the reaction to it, it's fair to say that even though it's a simcha reaction, that doesn't mean... That it 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 doesn't have the human side or or the or the how you say the awareness or acknowledgement of either the personal pain someone may be having the challenges they're having and, and things like that. I mean, very fair, <coughs> very fair points, very fair points. Um, yeah, I mean, my 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 thought experiment was not so much to say that the rabbit didn't feel this way or that way based on how it seems is more like. I feel that's how we've associated things, right? The association is, I think that's pretty evident that that's how we associate it. And I feel like, I mean, you're making a point that because we saw the Rebbe being ma'edid shluchim and because that's kind of the surface image that comes to mind, that doesn't mean that the Rebbe wasn't acutely aware of things going on. I mean, And you if, see that in the letters right, and in I, the minus and all of that. If I mean, anyone knew what Shluchim were going through, it, it was Rebbe who was getting letters all the time from Shluchim who were complaining. I mean, I mean, I know, and I'm only saying this because my mother made it public, is, you know, my, my, my parents wanted to, my mother wanted to leave a number of times and wrote to the Rebbe a number of times. This is before Gimel Thomas, let alone after. But, you know, and, and the Rebbe answered, answered her um, at least at least once. Um, so he knew, he knew what was going on. So I, my, my, my argument was not that he didn't know. My argument is, is simply that, or it's really a thought experiment is that because we've associated the Rebbe's like, you know, Simcha with, with Shlichus, it's almost, it feels like blasphemy to suggest, wait a second, this is a, a much, this is a much more complicated story than people present. And again, I, I want to be careful. I am not trying to blast shlichus. This is not a vendetta. Just because okay. I personally am not on shlichus today does not mean that I'm against it. It doesn't mean that I don't see the positives in it. Okay, I, 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 
by and large, I, I can extol its virtues, I can extol its, its successes. And people also talk about the problems of shlichus. You always have to ask, yeah, but what would have been the problems if there wasn't shlichus, right? Everything is, there, there's a lot of things to take into consideration. So that's not my point. My point is only that, like, it does seem that, like, we, we, we almost feel like an obligation to defend not just shlichus, but the perfection of shlichus. Right. I'll share with you a friend of mine, my age, Madan Shlichus. I mean, he went to, oh, I always say, I went back home. My wife went on Shlichus. You know, right. She's from Crown Heights. And, but, um, I want to ask you about that. I'll ask you soon. Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine who, who didn't grow up on Shlichus, Babacher, you know, um, he went, he opened up a Chabaras in a faraway place or whatever. And one time he was, and he's, he's a very chsidisha guy. I mean, like, you know, I look up to him. And he was talking to me once, and he was complaining that every time that he writes the Rebbe, he's catching. Like, you know, that he, that, you know, it's so hard, and so this, and so that. Like, he, he feels guilty that all he has to share is that he has problems and issues and whatever. So I said, you know, you know some of the most beautiful, you know, responses, letters that we have to Shluchim, about Shluchim, one of the most famous ones. Uh, Rabbi, Rabbi Meshi Yitzchak Hecht from New Haven wrote to the Rebbe, that's it, I'm giving, you know, the Rebbe should send someone that's better suited for this um, to take over. And the Rebbe writes back to him, I already sent the perfect candidate, I already sent the guy that could do it, his name is Meshi Yitzchak Hecht, you should get to know him, you know. Right. Beautiful, right? Very nice. And then I say, let's take a step back for a second. Do you realize what prompted that response? This big chas, he was a chas, I mean, the Rebbe spoke about him, you know, when he passed away in Tafshan and Bays and he was. He wanted to leave. Right. He was complaining to the Rebbe, and that's what prompted this tremendous response. Right. Uh, you said that you know my grandmother, so uh, Mrs. Gorelick from Milan. And it's a famous story. Uh, she was once. Um, she was once in. A, she was giving a shear in uh, Lugano, uh, you know, in Switzerland, nearby Milan. The Rebbe had actually told my grandparents that they should teach chassidus there. Right. Right, it's a long story, but she so she, she would. She told me that story once. Oh, she said it no, on, no, the, on the pot. Oh. No, no, I think a different project. Yeah. So she um, she would always prepare two sikhs, um because she would give a share to the girls, like the younger girls in Lugano, and then she would give a, a, a share to the women, and she would do two different sikhs so that the girls who came to the share also would hear something new. Okay. Anyway, she came to the women's share and she said over the sikh and they said, "Let's hear more." So she said over the sikh that she said to the girls, then they said, "Can we hear more?" And her mind was blank. She didn't, you know, right. it's fine, no problem. You know, she, she did what she had to do and she's on the entire train ride back to Milan and she was beating herself up. You know, I'm the shliach, I'm the shlucha, I'm the one that's supposed to be bringing, you know, right. the mayonis of chassidus and I have nothing to say. And she wrote a whole letter to the rabbi basically saying that he should have sent someone else to Milan, you know, one of the smarter girls in her Yaakov class would have done a better job or whatever. She said she didn't get a response directly to that letter, but later on, she had sent something else, a whole other story about the school, and the Rebbe sent her a beautiful letter um, describing the difference between, uh, you know, wheat and, and a tree, you know, fruits from a tree. I'm not going to get into the whole thing, but that was basically saying that when things are hard, that means you're doing something right, and there's going to be proper paytas. And then the Rebbe in the next paragraph says, um, and I'm not going to quote it exactly, but the point was that this that you say that that someone else should have been here, are you doubting my judgment? So, something like that was like the message. And okay, so that you know, my grandmother got this uh, got this letter. The way I see it is, you know, in life, whenever we fail or we're faced with challenges, we say, "Oh, I'm I'm so not good at this, and I'm lacking this experience, and I don't have this talent, and whatever." 
So like, why am I even doing this? And I remember, by the way, you think that Rabbi didn't know that? He, he knew that, you know, mm. you're this and you're that and whatever it is. And he's sending you to do the mission. And, and the fact that he sent you, you know, that itself should be inspiring to you. Mm-hmm. That's not going to take away the challenges. You will have challenges. And I'm sure a lot of the challenges that people uh, have on Shlichus has to do with their own personal personality or their, their own personal circumstances. It's not, you can't make a cookie cutter, you know, all the Shluchim that are in these types of cities are going to have these types of challenges. That's no. not true. And so what I'm saying is, I think we have to realize that first of all, in life, nothing is, you know, perfect and nothing is smooth, no matter what we go into. Go into chinuch, go into business, go into anything. You know, life has its challenges. Anyone that tells you that they found the perfect path to life that has zero hiccups, I mean, I guess they're, 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 they're not on the pulse. Um, and Shlichus has its fair challenges. Right. Um, I, it was interesting is that the two stories that you told me there, I, I had a very different takeaway from it. I'm not, I'm not disputing what you said, but what, like, what, what resonated, what, what, what I heard from it was, I mean, and this is something that I've been thinking about a lot recently, you know, the Chassid wavelength and the Rebbe wavelength are very different wavelengths, right? You know, it's a famous Hayum Yayim that Amal, the, the, the Rav Azalant and the Talmidim Ralant and the Uftu of Chassidus, the Getlech Uftu of Chassidus, right, is the expression. Like the get okay. like like the miraculous divine. It's not stam uftu. It's like the divine uftu of of chesidus is that the rebbe's nishtalent, chesidus nishtalent. What that they all could sit in a room together and fabring and listen to the rebbe fabring. That that's what we're talking about. No, we're talking about is that we're talking about people that are on very different wavelengths. And according to the terrace of chesidus, we're talking about infinitely different wavelengths, right? And so you know one of the challenges that you have when you let's say read Igris, for example, is you're you're only getting the rebbe's wavelength. Right, so like the story of Moshe Yitzchak Hecht, who happens to be a grandfather, my brother-in-law. Um, right, right. So you figured Andy, it, you figured Andy, it out. Okay. Yeah. So I'm saying I've heard this story and I've heard I, a lot. By of, the way, in Chicago, I went to Miftayim with him. Okay. He he taught me how to do Miftayim in the big building. So. And now I can for sure turn on the record button. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I've heard a lot about him and what kind of character he was, but like this, the letter you the letter you hear is you know that. Um, that you know the Rebbe already sent, or the Rebbe's judgment, like, and that's Rebbe's wavelength, because the Rebbe's writing it. But like what you said to your friend was, you realize what he, what his point was, what, what what this Chassid's point was, is he couldn't do it. And no, I'm saying like I'm saying like that. Again, I, I'm not saying that we, that I dispute what you're saying. All I'm saying is that like I pay attention. I paid attention when you brought them up to more like there are two wavelengths here. Your your grandmother and this and this Rabbi Hecht were both on their wavelengths, racked by terrible self doubt. Because um, in general, people have self doubt, especially here. You're talking about shlichus. This is a new thing. This is a everybody's kind of on their own, starting from scratch. They don't really know what they're even meant to be doing, or what they're why they're here, or what like or what defines mm. success. Right. Also, I mean, at the beginning, a lot of, like a lot of shlichus asked. I like how you said that. What defines success? Okay. Yeah, they didn't know what defines yeah. success. That's yes, What are you supposed to do? One guy got an answer. Sell sell cars for him. My Zayda in Philadelphia got an answer to do everything that starts with the Nalif and everything that starts with the base and everything that starts with the Gimel. Like, I mean, these are, I think even the Rebbe may have given them that, that answer. I, I don't know who he got it from exactly, but I think you may have heard that directly from the Rebbe. The, the point is that that's not a very concrete answer. It's not a nine-to-five deal. No, no. it's it, On the Chassid's wavelength, that's also not an answer. Like, like, okay, I asked you what to do and you told me to do everything. What is that? Like, 
that's why I asked. I want to know what to do, not like what there is to do. Um, But, you know, so what I take away from it is, is that Shlichus in many ways brings that, um, that, that distance or that, uh, that disjunction, like the two different wavelengths, it brings it into the sharpest focus possible, right? Because here you have now suddenly, um, you have the Rebbe's mission of Shlichus, that the Shliach is living on a daily basis, right? The Rebbe, the Rebbe says you're going to go on Shlichus and this is going to be, this is what's needed now to bring Mashiach, right? I think generally speaking, that's what it is, right? I mean, there are specifics and different that's ways what it is. <laughs> of interpreting it and, and what exactly it looks like and so on, but but that's what it is, right? You're, you're going to you're going to devote your life to the to to being makarviyadin and dirbetachtainim, right? And that will bring Mashiach. Okay, so that's the Rebbe's that's Rebbe's wavelength. The the the, the shliach's wavelength is trying to live that wavelength, but also dealing with all of life, right? Right, and and that tension is is crazy, right? That tension is crazy. I mean, that that's what I heard when you bring up those two things. Is that like we 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 very often you people like learn the Igris or people, you know you know, like you you listen to Fabring and whatever it is that people do, um, we we kind of get intoxicated with with the Rebbe's wavelength and that might be a beautiful thing for whoever it works for, but we have to we have to be aware that it doesn't automatically translate into the Chassid's wavelength. Is what I'm saying. So so I'll just get back to the, the reason I was bringing up the stories is because my friend was feeling guilty that he was kvetching. And I was right. like, why are you feeling guilty? That's what all of them did. Right. All of our heroes, all of our shluchim right. heroes, okay, so they you, kvetched all the time. So you were bringing but, up the same point as me. Yes. What, I'm try, what, I was trying to, what I was trying to share with him was, when the Rebbe sends us on shluchim, he doesn't turn us into tzaddikim or super people. Right. Okay. We're still the same person. And the Rebbe knows that, and we should know that. I mean, if we don't, then we have a problem. Oh, so when you said that when you brought up your, the story with your grandmother, that the Rebbe, the Rebbe do, do, do not trust my judgment, you were not saying that you should be bottled with Kabbalah. No, no. Uh, okay. I was just saying that, that if someone looks at my, and, and she is a very special woman, and she is a heroic shlucha, right. and you know, from the Nachshainim, you know, from the first ones I went out, right. I mean, I, I think they're the first ones that left America to go overseas on shluchas. Like, it's, it's a big deal. Yeah. Until then, you know, yeah. the people, uh, whatever, don't have to go into details. But the point is, you know, people look up to her and say, wow, look at that. I, I wish I could be like her, right? Yeah. Well, guess what? She also kvetched. Right. And more than once. Right. And that doesn't make her not a shlucha and not a chassid and not, like, this is this is who we are. That is the definition of chassidim. I mean, uh, I mean, this, 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 there is a danger of me, of me falling into a rant here, which I will not do. I should um, stop you? Okay. I, no, I will not, I will not do, but. Um, you know, there's a famous story of Rabbi Yosef Masbir, the the Balagola, Balagola, yeah. and Kovitch, or... yeah. And I remember reading it in the Fidi Kerber's uh, writings. I think I read it at the Akdama of Pekechivim. I'm sure it's published elsewhere as well. And that whole story is about his doubt, because. He, the Altar never told him specifically to go right now and be a Balagal. The, the Altar gave him like a simon that if and this this and this happens, no, you should be a Balagal. If no, something has to happen first. Something had to happen. Oh, I don't, I, I don't okay. remember. Look at it. It's, it's, no, because it's the story. Because he was like, I'm not sure if this is what I'm meant to be doing. And he had his wife had to push him over. 
the Rebbe was the Alter Rebbe was very clear what he should do, but it didn't make sense. No, he went, did, he went to the right thing. Away. It happened years yeah. later, so there was a simon that had oh. to happen. There's a simon that had to happen. The point that I'm saying is is that the story is all about his doubt, and he was broken about his doubt. What kind of chassid am I that I even have doubt? Should I do it? Should I not do it? And it was his wife who told him, if if you even have a svar that the Rebbe told you to do this, what's a shayla? And even then he was broken. Because what the heck am I doing here? I don't right. understand this. This doesn't make any sense to me. Why am I Why am I cleaning up a horse's dreck? makes no sense. Why am I schlepping people around? And it doesn't even seem, if I remember correctly, it doesn't even seem once the story kind of played out and he saved this person's neshama, that he was like, okay, Amazing! This was a great story. He's still, he's still upset. Like I don't know. He's oh, whatever. Still, I don't, okay, maybe the word's not upset. He's still, he's still conflicted. Like it's not a story of triumph. And, and then I think it was only later that because it was at that point I think the author already passed away, and so the mitzvah made him Yeah. So he, this is a story. The way that I read it, for, you know, and I'm pretty sure this is the way it's written. It's a story of, of a chassid overcoming doubt and living with that doubt and, and, and trying in face of that doubt to do what they've asked him to do, right? Because the reason I say that he wasn't even sure because I think, I wish I would have read it before I spoke to you. Well, There's a proof that I wasn't planning this rant, <laughs> right? <laughs> like like the, the Mithra Rebbe told him something to like ease his, ease, ease him. Like there was cool. something that like, he, he told him something to make him feel better about it. My point is, that's not even my main point. My my main point is that when I was growing up, I heard the story too. And that's not at all how I heard the story. And that's not how anybody listening to this heard the story. I have a lot to say about stories being told in different no, ways. No, but, yeah. no, but it's not what happened in the story. It's how the story was right, told. The point, the, of, of it. the point of the story is always, look at the Alter Rebbe, what kind of Ruach HaKedosh he had that he knew to send a Chassid and put him in this place so that one Okay, now, first of all, that doesn't make any sense. Because if the Alter Rebbe was, had Rocha Kedish, which he knew he did have Rocha Kedish, then he could have told this guy, on this and this day, be a Balgala for a day, or get, get training for a week, and be in the right place at the right time. He didn't have to take 10 years of his life to be a Balgala, right? So obviously there's more to the story than, than just that. There's something more that's going on here. The Alter Rebbe understood something that maybe we don't understand, perhaps, Okay. Right? But more than that, the point... The, when you're telling a story, there's always a point to the story, right? The line is, never make a point without telling a story and never tell a story without it making a point. Every story has a point. What's the point of this story? You read the Fidik Rebbe's, the way he wrote it, it's all about the chassid. It's all about the chassid. The Alter Rebbe tells him to do something. Now he's left on his own. He's not sure if this is what the Alter Rebbe meant or not. He's not sure if he, he's up to it. And he overcomes it and he does. It's all about him. Him, 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 all the way through. The way it's told to us, it's all about the Alter Rebbe. What happened? Right? Why am I bringing this up now? Because that's what you're just talking about now. What you're, what you're talking about is that there is there is there is a there is a chassid here. There is there is a there is there there are these big heroes, these big shluchim heroes, these these big people that 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 are that populate our imagination of what it means to be a derish via chassid. These people were real people dealing with real issues, dealing with real struggles, and we kind of. Overlook it sometimes, and it's not a stitter. That's the point. That's a point. That, yeah. That's a point. That's yeah. a, I'm agreeing not with a you. Not a contradiction. That's not. That's not the point. But something happened. I don't know when, and you're not that much older than me, so maybe you have source when it happened. I don't know if you. Like, I don't know if you. It, it certainly didn't happen in the two years or whatever age gap we have, but something happened at some point 
where we went from telling stories of Chassidim to everything being a story of the Rebbe, right? Like there's there's a beautiful part, a big part, and an indispensable part of, of, of being a Chassid and the whole story of Chassidus in, at, in, in, in total is a story of the Chassid as well, right? Yeah, of course. And the of story course. of Shlichus is the story of the Mishaleach, but it's also the story of the Shluchim. And it's also the story of the Shluchim's kids who who have to, uh, you know... Uh, Experience to, the to, challenge. I'll, have, I'll to say, have, have to say goodbye to their parents. Right. right. You know, bait farewell to their parents at the airport. That's also part of the story. Of course. Of and, course. And, and, and there is no story without that. Right. Right. Um... So I, I, you're, you're you asked me a question. Yeah, I, I don't think you're asking me for a timeline. You're not asking me to like kind of identify when did you know when did the storytellers change their track? Because yeah. I don't think that's really what happened. Right. Um, I can't say that I fully agree with your analysis of how every story is told or how we're. Here. And the truth is, we're two different people. So it could be you heard one thing and I'm yeah, hearing fair, something fair, else. Fair enough. Fair um, enough. And also, I'm keenly aware of the fact that I, mean, I haven't. You don't. You don't. You don't. You don't. You don't agree that in general stories became more rebbe-centric. De- depends. In other words, de- depends what you mean by that. I'll, I'll tell you why. Okay. I, for the longest time, I've been hearing stories about people. Okay. I'll, I'll give you an, a simple example, right? So my father, when he was 15 years old, he came to New York for Tishrei, and, and he stayed, basically, until he got married, um, which is a story for itself, I imagine. You know? And he had his own right. you know, experience, but you know, he was here for 10 years by the Rebbe. And um, I distinctly remember that, I think it was 13 or 14, it was in the summer, we were in Crown Heights for a Shabbos, and I remember it was the first time that I had a conversation with my father. He just started to talk about his experiences in 770, whatever, being in, in, in Crown Heights, near the Rebbe, from when he was 15 and on. <clears throat> and it was very much about him. You right. know, him experience. you know, he, he would go very hungry sometimes and whatever. And nothing, you know, it, he wasn't like telling me over Febrengens or, or whatever. It was just his experience there. And I distinctly remember that being the first conversation that actually drew me into what we call... Base Chayenu. Like, you know, right. it drew me into this world of, of like, you know, the, the goings on in 770, which are extremely Rebbe-centric, obviously. Right. Um, but there's also like this, this, this huge amount of Arum right. that's going on and there's people that are experiencing it. You know why you could identify with it? Because you could see yourself in the story. Oh, well, okay, because of the homesickness you're saying? No, or, oh, no. In general, no, I'm a chassid, he's a chassid, yeah, I could have been there. Yeah. And, and that's, that's true. So, but, but, but you are kind of proving my point because you're telling me it's the first time that you're hearing these kind of stories. When I was 14. Oh, this is I'm saying 14. when I was 14, I was I was a young bucher. Right, but you're hearing it from your, you're hearing it from your father privately. Yeah, no, my father was telling me. You, you're bringing me an example. Of, no, no, I'll, I'll explain to you what I mean. Right. Okay. I'm just saying the, the and since that was one of my first conversations I had with anyone about mm-hmm. 770. So going forward, the way I kind of. Mm-hmm. Took things in, even though yes, a lot, you know every story is only a, really a story if it didn't have to do with the Rebbe. I mean, if you're talking about a story of 770. There's a lot of silly stories out there. You know what I'm saying? Just time people doing things, but even when it's a story about the Rebbe, because I had that conversation with my, father, I think I think that's one of the reasons. I I was able to kind of envision or not envision, but to realize. There's people here that are seeing what's going on, that are hearing what the Rebbe is saying, right. that are acting upon it, whatever. Um, so at, at least in my mind, it was never a romanticized 
too much. I see. Um, out of control, okay. without losing the kedusha and the you know. So again, that that's why I can't fully agree with your characterization of how, in general, stories of Derashvi are told that they're completely Rebbe centric when you know. That wasn't uh-huh. your experience, no, right? I mean, fair enough. I mean, uh, that, that's valid. That's valid. It's definitely the the, the words that people are saying. You're one hundred percent correct. But then the question is always, how are people? Yeah, taking so, it? I mean, that's what I'm talking about. Look, I mean, it, it, what you're saying is very valid. I also was lucky to have, you know, I had my Zayda, who told me all kinds of stories in the first person, right? right? So his relationship with Rebbe was a very unique relationship, and. Um, was always, I, I, I could I could see him there. So in a way, I could see myself there. You know, so personally, I agree with you that I I didn't feel like it was just the Rebbe, nothing else. But that doesn't that doesn't mean that I wasn't aware that the way stories are told and the point of the story is always, you know, at the in the end, the point of the story is the Rebbe was right. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, I hear, yeah, hundred like, I mean, percent. And and you know, I am sure that for some people that does a world of good, but you know, there there's and and also there's no doubt that that's a massive part of this of the story. Right. Right? There's no doubt. But all I'm saying is and for some people, it might be more of the story that, and some people less of the story, depending on how much the Rebbe occupies your life. Fine. Open to all of that. All I'm saying is, is that there's also another part of the story. Okay, Someone will say, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to like, really, I mean that it's more of the story. It's a part of the story. For every person, it, they'll decide how much of the story this is and how much of the story that is. At the end of the day, that it's not for anybody to decide for anybody else. But I, I do feel like like it's certainly part of the story, and you know, and 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 in a way, hopefully, this conversation did a little bit of justice to to a part of the story that I mean, God knows, need needs to be a much bigger part of the story, you know. And like people will say, you know, why are you bringing up these kind of topics? Why are you bringing up the challenges of shlichus? And I mean, we haven't even scratched the surface, baby. Like. <laughs> We just started the conversation. I'm just saying, like, like, like. No, I'm talking about this specific yeah. topic of leaving home. I mean, I could go on for hours. It seems like you are a little bit more blasé about it, at least publicly. But I mean, I know, I know. God knows, God knows what I've heard. But why am I bringing it up? Because is it is it to is it to break the silence or break the taboo or whatever? No, it, I didn't know it, that it, there is a taboo. No, I'm, yeah. I'm saying it, it's it's because because it, to me it doesn't diminish the story of Shlichus at all exactly it doesn't diminish the story it doesn't diminish the story of Shlichus and even if like my brother and I discussed that we believe and not everyone has to agree with this that mistakes were made and people did things that were wrong or that things need to be changed that could be true yeah I'm saying I'm saying that could also even if you agree with us with what we discussed that things that these are true that's also part of the story did, did, until Mashiach comes Mistakes are being made, and things yep. are going wrong. Now that doesn't give an excuse to therefore. So that's always how it's been. Let's just keep on, keep on, you Perfect. know, kicking the can down the road. You know, hopefully things are changing, and I think in many ways they are. You know, and at the end of the day, people are living their lives. They don't want their kids to. They don't want their kids to go through what they went through. They want to fix the things that went wrong for them for their kids. 
people are going to try to improve things, right? So it's not I, I I don't feel like I'm the guy saying that things are should get better. Everybody knows that, right? My my point is merely that we can talk about shlichus and under and, and talk about the humanity of it and the side of it that's difficult without diminishing the story, right? Yeah, of course, of course. Oh yeah, sir, you could say that there is no good story in the world that's ever been written that hasn't that doesn't deal with the pain. And I'm talking about fiction, but really it's any story. There's a famous, famous writer, I think it was Tolstoy, who said that every family dies the same, or every family, every happy family has the same story. It's the sad families that have an interesting story. And he starts one of his biggest novels with that line. But it's true about any good story that you hear. It could even be a chesed when you think about it. A chesed that doesn't have pain in it, doesn't have a, a, a little bit of, of suffering in it. It's, it doesn't mean anything to you because what, what does it do for me? Good for them, like La La Land. Good for you. Right, right, <laughs> right. This is the story. This is a story of people who went out and didn't and, 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 and went out because they were trying to be part of the Rebbe's mission and they didn't know what it would mean for their kids and then they realized it would mean some hard things for their kids and they very often didn't know what to do about it and they persevered and maybe made mistakes. That's also part of the story. You know, in Tav, I think it's Tav Shemem Ches, but they cannot say Shluchim. If you look at the Sikh over there, the Rebbe talks about the fact that Shluchim have, have gone out, and you see that they were successful in the Chinuch of their kids, and they have Parnasa, and they made Shiduchim. Like, you know, if you think about it, you know, Tav Shem Yud, let's put it this way, the story of Shluchim actually does not make sense on paper. That's a very good point. That's, in other words, you're saying like, you know, there's an abstraction and makes sense on paper. Actually, it does not make sense on paper. That's a very valid point. And logically speaking, it, it doesn't make it, you know, in Tavshin Yud, Yudal, for the Rebbe to plan on taking all of his Talmidim and sending them out, etc., it was contrary to any type of right. uh, normal way of rebuilding Judaism after the Holocaust. The Chassidim right? were against it. Exactly. The big Chassidim were against it. So on paper, it didn't work out. Right. 30 years later, the Rebbe says... I have the goods to show for it. Right. And you see that in the Kinnosah Shulchan Amches, the Rebbe made a big shturim, the Rebbe like said, it, it's in bold, in the Muga. It's a kriya to all the Talmidim that are here, all the Bachrim, ver shluchim and amdayin develt metidishkeit. Right. And the Rebbe saying, okay, I have a Kinnosah here, all the shluchim came back, look at them, I mean, they're, they're humans, right? right? They're not all tzaddikim, and not necessarily everything worked out. But for the main part, this, you know, this is working. They have children, they're making shaduchim, they're grandparents already. Um, now you don't just have to trust me. Now you could just see what, what's going on. I mean, that kind of undercuts your earlier point. I mean, the first point that you make is a great point about, like, you know, it, it only became, it only began working on paper years later. But I didn't say that it starts to work on paper. Yeah, it still I, does. In other words, that's no, fundamentally what I, that's it doesn't work on paper. So I think this is the Rebbe's way of basically saying, Right, but it and, kind of undercuts your point that you said earlier, which is that that that's not, that, defi- that doesn't define the success of Shlich Swamil. That's also true, but right. if everything would fail, okay, right? So if, if, if it wouldn't work feasible, out at all, right. if it's completely not feasible, then what are we doing, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's a very good point that you're making, and I think it's also very important to make that point because whenever you engage in any kind of conversation of critique, very often it, it's disproportionate in the, in, the sake of the, in the terms of the conversation, right? Because all we're talking about is this one point, and it's like, it, it, it can magnify and sound. It can magnify the issue and make it sound like oh, the whole thing fell apart. And it's like, wait a second, a lot, ha- a lot of good happened here, right? Right? There's a lot of good here. 
and I guess my, you know, there's already, a mission that is there's a, happening. There's a, there's a lot of good. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so to wrap to wrap things up a little bit and bring things full circle, you know, um, the one what one of the we we both grew up on Shlichus, um in v- varying distances from New York. Although I although, my hat to you, that's although, for sure. <laughs> although although it turns out it turns out I mean COVID kind of did a number on Hong Kong, but it turns out that. Um, we had a direct flight to New York when you did it, <laughs> so whatever. I mean, I had a direct flight to Chicago. Into, oh yeah, who, I, I have to. Who, I have who, to say, who needs to go to Chicago? No, I'm saying in my case, to, in order to go to my chinuch, right? Let's put it this way: it's not like I was traveling a full day to get to where I had to be. To, and also, oh, yeah. my parents always told me, whenever you want to come home for a Shabbos, you can come. They never ever told me. I think this is an important point, at least that works for me. My parents never told me we don't have money to bring you in. Or right. you know, the, you know, the, the only once in two months they said, whenever you want to come, you can come, and I never took them up. Right. I came back every once in two months, you know, between Tishrei and then Hanukkah and then winter vacation and then Pesach. It was you know, it it worked yeah. out that way for me. I my parents were very very adamant that I should know that yeah. you can come home whenever you want. So that in other words, I don't want to say that we all had this the the same how you say circumstances and you know no no but I mean I, uh, I didn't understand it that way I also don't to me when I think about going away from home I don't think same, about I don't same. think about it like a ten hour flight I mean yeah it sounds even more ridiculous when you put it that way like right. I didn't only fly two hours away I didn't only fly ten hours away I flew ten hours away to a different continent right okay and and the big coup in my case was that we found a city that was a 10-hour flight away, but it was only a two-hour time difference. Australia. Australia. So, so yeah. this way, I could call my parents during the day, and I wasn't like, you know, but yeah, I, I couldn't fly home every other Shabbos. That was just not, nothing to do with money. It was ne- right. Money right. was never the issue that I under, that I knew of. It was just like, uh, t- you know, f- f- like by the time you would fly back, you'd be, yeah, you'd just be home uh, the whole time. But, um, but, yeah, I, I didn't understand. I, I didn't understand that you were tra- that you were saying that everyone has the same story. And it, within my family, we had different stories and different circumstances and different situations. You know, it, it's and I've heard stories of Shluchim's kids who left home to go an hour drive or two hour drive, and they would come home every Shabbos. And they also and, had and, and, a and tough time. And it was devastating yeah. for them. Right. You know, it, it's about the child. It's about the parents. It's about where they stay. It's about their class. Right. If you don't get along with your classmates in your new school, it makes you miserable. If you do get along, it, it definitely helps. There's so many things. There's so I'm sure not all your siblings had the same exact experience, nope. right? You don't have to talk for them, but I'm sure they didn't all have the same experience. Um, so that's not the point. The point is more just the point. That, uh, we we we've made the points, but what I wanted what I wanted to what I wanted to kind of close with is one of the differences. Uh, besides the varying lengths of our flights to school, is that you went back home and you and you continued, you you went back you went right. back to where it all started and started the cycle again. Um, was this something that ever factored in for you? Um, you know, realizing that, like we just said, just because it worked out for you, the odds are not entirely stacked in your favor. You know, do you want to do that all over again? And also, and also realizing that, like you said earlier, as hard as it was for you, it was even harder for your father. Now you're the father. Right. Honestly speaking, I did not make any in-depth analysis. Mm-hmm. Let's put it this way. The Chinuch of Shlichus, or the Chinuch and Lubavitch, where, you were, where, where a friend of mine said, if I would know how hard Shlichus was, I wouldn't go. Right. right? And right. so my, 
I think, okay, so thank God you didn't know how hard it was. Yeah. <laughs> but what's my point? Right. At, at a certain point, and it could be it always was in my psyche, I had made that decision, I'm going to be a shleach one day. I, I want to be a shleach one day. And by the way, I never took that for granted. Right. What I mean by that is, I know others that, let's say, grew up in the same situation, they didn't end up on shleach for various reasons, right? right? So I, I can never know for sure what's going to happen. Uh, it all depends on who you marry and if they're ready to do it, etc. Um but I, I never really overanalyzed the situation and said, oh, am I ready to send my child away? Am I ready for that type of experience? It's like, I made the commitment to go on shlichus, And if that shlichus means I go back home to El Paso, then yes. And I'm acutely aware that it's going to be challenging. But this is this is the game. This is this is what we're doing. Um, so, and, and, and I think just for myself, it was healthier not to dwell on the what, you know, what's going to happen and how will it be. Because you never know. You really never know how your children are going, what their character is going to be, what you know their disposition, if it's going to be easier for them or harder for them, and when you're going to send them away from home. So, I, you know, honestly, I, I didn't find it, at least for me, I never really thought about that. I just thought about, I want to go on shlichus, and here's an opportunity, we're going to do this. And now? I also don't, I don't dwell on it. it things are tough sometimes. Baruch Hashem, you know, I'm, I'm by my parents, and um, they're very good. Very supportive, very helpful. Um, you know, they're Freiginners. I'm saying I don't have to translate what that. I don't know if you could even translate that. Are you still that. working with your father after 10 years? Yeah, I'm working with my father and I'm that, very that happy be, there and I'm very thankful. That's the compliment you could give. Exactly. I'm still there and I'm very thankful and, you know, I have no other plans. You know, I'm, 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 I'm talking more about your kids. Right, you. so even with my children, I mean, Baruch Hashem, there's an online school. Right. So that helps. But again, that that's not a, you know... That doesn't automatically mean that the child is going to take to the class and be able to sit in front of the computer screen the whole day, etc. It's a, it's a daily ongoing challenge. Right. And you make it work. This is, you know, or you try to make it work. Sometimes it just doesn't. Right. Um, but this is it. It's not like I'm thinking to myself, you know, maybe I should be doing something else. What would I, what would I gain from that? Right. Also, 70 years after Shlichus has been ongoing, I could have a certain confidence in the fact that this could work. I mean... Proof to that, you know, we're I'm here, and you know, we'll we'll, we'll make this work as best as we can, right? But well, the main thing is, I, I never feel guilty complaining to myself, like, oh man, this is tough. So, oh, so why are you complaining? You're supposed to be a shliach. always be simcha. This is part of simcha. You know what I mean? Being the, in tune with what's going on, it's right. part of simcha. Right. Next, you're allowed to have a tough day. You're allowed to. Yeah. Have, you're allowed to have doubts. Are you, allowed allowed to, to, are you allowed to have doubts? Sure. Why not? No. I, but I have, to, I have to identify where they're coming from. I know they're coming from the Yitzhahara. And, uh, so. okay. you're, you're allowed to have everything and anything. You can't control that. Right. You can't control doubts. Right. You could ignore it. You can convince yourself you're not having them. But what? Right, right. So when you come to the Kinnis, we're sitting here in Karnites in the thick of the Kinnis. Um, you know, this is, and we can wrap up with this. I know you have to go. Um, you know, one one of the things my brother discussed was that, you know, he, he couldn't really identify with the with with the kids in Hong Kong because he was a rabbi's son, and he couldn't identify with the kids in. He also went to Chicago. It turns out, um, for however long that lasted, he couldn't identify with them because he was from Hong Kong. Um, you know, you grew up in El Paso. You went to Yeshiva, and then you went back to El Paso. When you come when you come to Crown Heights. Do you feel like, for a lot of people, Carnites is the place, but but you're 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 more an El Paso guy, aren't you? Like, how do you, how do you how do you see yourself 
as a Lubavitcher? Are you like, is there, is it just one long consistent path that kind of made a, de- it made a detour for a little bit, but El Paso all the way through, Shlichus all the way through? Or, or do you feel at home as well in, in, in this world? And Absolutely at home in this world. Okay. In other words, for me personally, this is, this is who I am. Um, Even in Kronites? Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, it's it's wonderful. Let's put it this way. Coming to the Kinos, it's not just about, I don't know, workshops and things like that. It's more about seeing friends and, you know, sure. speaking with fellow shluchim. And not just that. I mean, the Kronites is a, is, a, is a neighborhood full of chassidim. You know, I, right. I, I enjoy being here. It's not the only time that I come to Kronites, uh, right. the Kinos. You know, so it's, uh, if you're asking if I feel absolutely at home in Lubavitch, uh, you know, in other words, in Lubavitch of, in this, of being in this, in this part, in this part of Lubavitch, of course, the, the yeah. outsider shluchim Lubavitch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I have many friends who are not shluchim, and and chassidish are friends. You right. know, and I have some uh, when when I come and I have a fabring, and it's not only with shluchim, and it's with you know, right. yeah, we're you know, right. Look, it, it's um, it's it's you know, I I think for me the takeaway. The takeaway from all this is that, you know, the beautiful thing of a story is that it can hold contradictions. If anything, that's what makes it. That's what makes. That's what makes a story great. You know, we're talking about, and I know this is this was something I that I that I brought up. Uh, you know, um, a theory that I brought up. Um, so, whatever it's worth in the first place, but you know, like things that work out on paper and abstractions. A story that a story is really the opposite of an abstraction, right? right? Because an, a, a, a story that's too abstract doesn't work, right? Mainly because an abstraction gets too carried away with its own internal logic, and a story is all about kind of what happened, what happened, and and, and finding a, a more human logic, a, a human rhythm to it, um, right? And it's a very different kind of logic, and I think the the takeaway I get from this conversation is that, you know. Your story is one that, you know, um, I I think people could see on the surface that oh yeah we grew up in El Paso, and you you live in El Paso yeah it was just it was a straight line and okay so good for you right, but I, I that's not what I you know I think over the course of the conversation that's not what I'm taking away from that's not what I'm taking away from it. what I'm taking away from it is that is that you know your story is one of all kinds of different of all different kinds of parts, different contradictions. And that story can also end up back on Shlichus, right? Like to have a story that has its own challenges and ups and downs doesn't mean you have to leave. Right, right. <laughs> a long way of saying, I think I think that's a valuable takeaway as well. And I think that's why you wanted to come on as well, is that like we don't always have to, the, 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 everybody has their own story, everybody has their own journey, but not every story that's worth saying is a, a story. In order for a story to be worth saying, doesn't have to be a story that has like quote unquote a bad a ending or, or a different or, ending or, or, or whatever. Like a, or like a, like, like, like how do you get from here to there? You know? Right. You you grew up in El Paso. You live in El Paso. You're back on Shlichus in El Paso. It seems like that's where you're going to be for a very long time. I'd be a scale tzedek, right? I mean, right, right, and and that's there's a story there too. Is a story worth exploring, and a story that you live, and a story for me, worth for me to hear, and a story worth to share. Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity, and uh, I enjoyed the conversation. Right. Do you have any takeaways that you want to say? 
I, I just think it's important that people should realize that um, we're human. And and even when things look like they're working out for someone else or they're, you know, oh, this is like the perfect situation, perfect story, whatever. Every story has its baggage, has its thing. And it's not because of someone's decisions, someone else's mistakes, whatever. That's life. Right. Um, and we just, you know, we hope and pray that life, you know, that, that we're able to overcome whatever challenges it is and they're able to make the right choices, you know. Right. All right, so th thank you very much. This was a great conversation. Thank you for your time. I know the Kunis is a busy few days, um, but uh, thank you. The music for this podcast comes from the album Repentance Doors by Oren Sor Nadav Bakhar and is used with their permission. <laughs>